The Local Youth Worker is a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. Since 1972, RYM has sought to reach and equip youth for Christ. And this podcast seeks to reach and equip those parents and youth workers who share that same desire. For more information on our student conferences, youth leader training, or resources, visit rym.org. Hey everybody, welcome back to The Local Youth Worker, a podcast brought to you by Reformed Youth Ministries. I'm your host, John Pirrett. This is episode 358, and I have Joe Deegan here with me. Joe, how's it going? Oh, great. How you doing, John? Doing well. It's good to see you. As I've said before, it's always fun to have a, a fellow staff member on. Um, yeah. And I know I'm looking back at the notes. Okay, you were back in episode 351. Uh, so if you listen, everyone knows Joe came on to talk about RYM Worship's uh, newest album. And I guess at the time of this recording, Joe, that's been out a couple of weeks or so. Yeah. Uh, has it been I encouraging? So. Is that out there now when people are listening? Yeah. Yeah. It's been very encouraging. It's, uh, it's been, um, it's been fun to be surprised by some of the songs that people have connected with that I didn't necessarily think that much about. Um, and so it's, yeah, it's, it's always fun to just kind of share your work and then see how people are receiving it and what is, what's impactful for them. Hmm. Yeah. Now that that's it's been exciting and and I've said this before I said this on the episode you're on I'm I'm really glad that I like your music that I don't have to just <laughs> fake it working alongside you but it, it's been awesome getting to hear it and just encourage people to go uh, check that out on Spotify uh, be sure to subscribe to RYM Worship and um, yeah check out check out those songs some of the, some of which will be uh, featured in this this episode um, we, we do have. Uh, Sarah, and I've got to ask her if it's Zalistra or Zalstra, I think is how you say her last name, and Melissa Kruger, they'll be on a little bit later, uh, talking about their book, Social Sanity in an Insta World, uh, which is coming out through the Gospel Coalition. Uh, We will also have AJ Swoboda joining us for our Rested Development uh, segment. Uh, For now, though, I've got Joe here to talk about an essential of a youth retreat. Um, Joe, uh, as you think about youth retreats, as you think about your time in youth ministry, what would you say is an essential of a youth retreat? Well, I was in youth ministry for seven years at Christ the King in Houston. And whenever we did retreats, so the summer we would typically do RYM stuff, but we would always do fall and sometimes winter retreats with just our group. And whenever I think about those retreats, I think playtime would be the essential I would point to. And I just, I, I think for one, and I don't know if I made this connection much uh, when I was actually doing youth ministry, but this validates that I recently stumbled across a verse I'd never really noticed before in Zechariah eight verse five, where there's a description of the new heavens and the new earth. And uh, the day of the Lord. And it says that uh, on that day, that children, uh, the streets will be filled with children playing in the streets. And so there is a theme of playing and enjoying God's creation that I think we see in the new heavens and the new earth. And, and I would, I would want to um, affirm that theme in our retreats and in the, the time that we spend together, because I just felt like there was so much 
that we all learned about each other when we play games. And, uh, and, and that can come through simple games like sitting around playing a board game or doing some sort of team building game uh, or something big and extravagant. Like at night we used to do, um, I'm thinking back to uh, our middle school retreats. We would go out and do fall retreats kind of out at, at these ranches in Texas and it would get really dark out there. And all the youth leaders, uh, we would do spotlight tag, but the youth leaders would kind of set up a barrier and they had like a, a foghorn they had to go get and grab. And when it goes off that, that kid wins. And if you got spotted by the flashlight, you had to go back to base. Well, the, it was so funny to watch these little middle school kids. Like we would run our flashlights across the field and we would catch one of them and they would immediately stop and freeze and think, oh, maybe they didn't see me. And then we keep, <laughs> we keep panning the flashlight and then they'd start running again. And there was just this mindset of these little middle school kids that think they got, they got away with it. We didn't <laughs> see them. And we would just purposefully kind of let them go and let them get close. And, but just stuff like that, like it, just learning to, to play and to enjoy each other and have fun, I, I think is, is an absolute essential of a youth yeah. retreat. You, you definitely learn who the cheaters are, right? Uh, <laughs> That's right. That was always funny to see just aspects of human nature come out as you, you play games. But I'm, I'm with you totally. And, you know, you think of retreats and just elements of, of a retreat, and it's interesting just hearing other people's, um, you know, rest has been one, but this idea of recreation um, and just, you know, retreating from our normal life and getting to just play, like you said, and just have fun and, and play a game that really doesn't have – you know, a lot of significance. Like I know there's significance in the kingdom work that's taking place, work that's in their heart for sure. But like, you know, 10 years from now, who's going to remember the score of this, this game that you play? But something I'm I'm curious about is, you know, it was always a challenge as a youth worker um, to encourage kind of the non-athletic kids to play a game and also find games that didn't really have anything to do with athleticism that were kind of more intellectual, kind of having that, that balance. What are some thoughts you think of when you're, you're kind of thinking about that balance of encouraging students to play who might not want to? We had, um, early on in my time at Christ the King, we had a student in our middle school who had, I believe it was muscular dystrophy and he was very handicapped, couldn't speak, was wheelchair bound. Um, but was very aware of everything that was going on. And he always wanted to come to our retreats and his dad would come with him and take care of him. And so we always welcomed him. And, um, and I, I have a very vivid memory one time of, uh, we, we set up this game, um, the youth leaders, uh, we, we, we would tie strings from one, uh, tree to another and create sort this sort of like spider web looking maze. And we would play a game where you all had to get from one side of the web to the other without touching any of the strings. And so some people could fit through little holes and you'd have to pick, pick each other up and, and move them across. And, uh, it was always fun when we got to this kid, uh, because it was, uh, it was so fun to see the whole youth group just rally around him and to Mm -hmm. see him just smile and have so much fun. And they would, pick him up. And his dad was so, um, just so enthusiastic about us just doing things with him and, you know, not 
being overly careful with him. And so these, <laughs> you had like 10 middle school kids pick him up out of his wheelchair and pass him through to 20 other middle school kids on the other side. And he's just cackling, laughing, having uh-huh. the time of his life. And the other kids are rallying around him and having so much fun. And so it's, it's through moments like that and playing games together like that, that you just, you learn to serve each other. You learn to enjoy each other. And I just think that's, that's a picture of the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Amen to that. Now that's a, a beautiful picture. Um, and just for the illustration of why we play games, um, just a, a beautiful unifying moment. Um, there's so much going on there. That's beyond just a, you know, a thoughtless game. Um, so thanks for sharing that, Joe. Uh, look, as we uh, transition into our next segment, let me just remind our, our listeners about our 50 for the 50th. Um, if you look at the show notes to this episode, we'll uh, list the, the newest top 10 list. Um, those who are following know that we're trying to do 50 top 10 lists to celebrate RWAM's 50th anniversary. Uh, so you can check that out. We've had a lot. I don't know off the top of my head how many we've had, but we've got a lot out there that are hopefully helpful. Um, I also want to say that Joe's song, All Things New Again, um, mm-hmm. I believe I got the, the title yeah, right. Thanks, All Things Joe. New Again. That That is now uh, playing at our transitions in between each segment. Um, so it's been, I think, a couple weeks now that we've been utilizing that. So be sure to check that song out. Um, also check out This Table, everybody, if you haven't listened to that that song. Um, a song about communion. It's a beautiful song, um, so be sure to, to check that out. Um, also, this is our first uh, time airing this new segment entitled Rested Development. If you tuned in a couple weeks ago, Tree and Lynn were with me, and we discussed that. And so this Rested Development segment is dealing with just some of the, the rest and work balance that we seek to, to maintain in our lives, just thinking a little bit about uh, the good gift of rest that God gives us, as well as the good gift of work and how we, you know, as we wait on the new heavens and the new earth, how, how do we uh, balance that in this broken world? And so uh, AJ Swoboda will be kicking that off for us. We'll also have Kelly Capic in a few weeks. Uh, but for now, uh, here is Joe's song, All Things New Again, and then AJ will be with us. AJ, welcome back to the podcast. It's a joy to be with you. Thank you for having me. Yes, thanks um, once again to have you back on, uh, listeners. Uh, you may remember AJ from episode uh, 302, so I would encourage you to go back and check that out. It was so good. Um, we were talking about AJ's book, Subversive Sabbath. Um, AJ has several other books you can check out, um, but today we're going to be starting a new segment about rest and work balance. and. At the time of this recording, um, Lynn's with me as well. We, we still don't have a name uh, for this segment. So uh, those who are on the podcast team, we've thrown out a lot of ideas. Um, so we'll have to settle on one. But AJ's helping us kick this off. And so AJ, in this first segment, since we'll be you'll be with us over the next three weeks, um, I wanted us to start with rest. Um, because as you correctly say in, in your book, I mean, that's the, the creation account that, that God created Adam and Eve, um, and their first day of existence, they were to rest. Um, and so I'd love for us to start with rest and then, um, how work flows out of rest. Maybe in our second segment, we can uh, talk about that, but I I just want to begin kind of asking the question of why do you think we're so restless as a culture? Um, I'd love for you to just kind of share some thoughts on why you think we are so restless. Well, there's no doubt a variety of, uh, cultural uh, influences that 
um, are impacting our um, our inability to uh, to rest. Some of them are just sheer like <laughs> uh, we we've changed the way that we live as a culture. You know, seven you know, 50, 60 years ago, we actually had laws that required everything to shut down on Sunday, and we you know blue laws that would literally like you would you wouldn't go to do anything but church and go home and eat meals and be bored together as a family. Um, uh, to you know, our our social media habits and our iPhone habits have have tradition have really radically altered the way that we um, we ha- we don't have crack cracks of inactivity anymore. I'm using the word of Andrew Sullivan, who uh, says we essentially the modern tyranny is that we don't have cracks of inactivity anymore. We just we even when you know I'm I, I'm a professor at university even. When my students go to the bathroom, I know why they're going to the bathroom. They're going to text. So we don't even we don't even go to the bathroom anymore without uh, some sort of you know tiny. We're we're, we're we we've just essentially um, cut out all the. So there's a lot there's a lot of reasons, but I can also say that there's a hunger for rest, and and I can see that in uh, my students. Um, it's really odd when COVID hit three years, two and two and a half years ago, whatever it may be. Um, that there was this sense that publicly all my students were saying things like they were super sad and and didn't like the disruption, but in office hours, they were really grateful that COVID hit. Mm -hmm. And essentially I think what was happening was it was sort of like them throwing their hands up in the air and saying, uncle, I'm so glad that this thing is not going the way it's been going anymore. And I almost, I have this weird theory that I've, I've shared in a couple different environments where I think we actually now as a culture long for tragedy. Hmm. We want it to happen because we know with tragedy, it'll give us an opportunity to stop. We long for it. It gives us a chance to go home. And which of course, in, in my lifetime, that's the, the only day that I can think of ever uh, that really represents a society at rest was on 9-11 hmm. um, when everybody stopped flying, went home and called the people they loved. Hmm. So there's a lot of reasons conspiring against our rest. Um, but, but underneath all that is John, a a deep longing with deep longing for rest. We long for Mm -hmm. it. Yeah. And I know that's such a broad question to kind of start with, but, but you, I mean, even again, among this kind of podcast team, as we were coming up with names for this podcast, that, that was just an assertion from this team of, Hey, we need to talk about this rest and work balance. Um, and, and I love something that you, you say in your book, subversive Sabbath, and I'd love for you to kind of react to this a little bit. And then Lynn, I'd love for you to jump in as well. You, You say, we just don't know how to sit with God anymore. We have become, we have come to know Jesus only as the Lord of the harvest, forgetting he is the Lord of the Sabbath as well. Sabbath forgetfulness is driven so often in the name of doing stuff for God rather than being with God. And I'd love for you to just talk about that a little bit, about how we've forgotten to just be still and be be with God, be in his presence. Yeah, well, I mean, amnesia is a is a major theological theme of the book of Deuteronomy, um, and and the theme is that Israel keeps forgetting. Both they forget God, uh, but they also forget how bad slavery was, and they forget how um, how horrible their time in enslavement was. In fact, you have moments in Deuteronomy where Israel wants to go back for the four course meal that they had in Egypt. You know, they they want to go back to the food that was in Egypt. So the amnesia is a real Sabbath amnesia is a is a is a real problem for uh, for us uh, as a people, and but you know when you read, for example, Jewish history, Jews 
um, only had one day that they named. It was it was Saturday, the Sabbath, and that was the only day they named. Every other day was was just another day. It was just a day. <laughs> the only day you had was like a day, a day, a day. Sabbath, a day, a day, a day, a day, a day, a day. Sabbath. Every you know, Sabbath was the the name day, and everything was oriented around the Sabbath, and that that was the the ultimate the ultimate experience. But here here's the so years ago I was at a an event and I was talking about the Sabbath and there were a bunch of business people in the, in the room, some businessmen. And this business guy says to me, he says, uh, I don't, I don't, I don't want to tell my millennial workers and Gen Z workers about the Sabbath because they don't work very hard anyways. He goes, I don't want them to, I don't want them to rest. They don't work hard. And I said, well, friend, like, well, here's the deal. The Sabbath in the Bible says you work six days a week and rest one day a week. And why that's important is the Sabbath is not only a day and an invitation to rest. It's also an invitation to work really hard. It Meaning we have a word for Sabbath without, Sabbath without work. It's called laziness. Hmm. And we have a word for work without Sabbath, and that's called slavery. Hmm. So there, it's, it's a balance of, of work and rest. It's not one or the other. It just so happens that in God's economy, God, the, the way God works is that you begin with the rest and then go to the work. It's so the, you know, the, the beginning of the week was, was Sabbath and, uh, or Sunday was the, you know, the end of the week. But, but, but when you look at Adam and Eve who were made on day six, day seven was the day of rest. And that means Adam and Eve's first day of existence was a day of rest. They began their life with a day of rest that they had done nothing to earn. And so, you know, we work for the weekend, but in the Bible, we work out of the weekend. The weekend, the, the Sabbath is, is the pinnacle. It's the pinnacle. Humanity is not the pinnacle. Sabbath is the pinnacle. That's the highest moment in creation. I, that's so like that's so countercultural, of course, AJ, in this um, in this day and age, especially when uh, you know the hustle culture uh, is king, and you're only as good as as how much you produce or as how much people depend on you or how important, you know, how full your schedule is. If your schedule is not full, then people don't like you. You're not important. I know that was my slave driver um, until a few years ago when I um, read your book and then John Mark Comer's The Rest, The Ruthless Elimination of Hurry. Um, it's so hard to think like that. And um, there's a phrase that you used um, in the in Subversive Sabbath that I thought was so great, um, anointed irresponsibility. Um, of, and we were talking about that in our staff meeting today. I work on staff at a church and we were talking about how do we better model the work, rest, life balance and um, talking about, well, we have to model that and we have to realize like, if I don't, if something doesn't get done, that's not the worst thing. It feels like the worst thing because people are relying on me. I'm a very important person, you know, but if something doesn't get done, that's not the worst thing. And I brought up that um, you said, I can't remember if it's in the book or in another interview that I listened to, um, but you said, if as a person in ministry, if I were to break any of the other commandments, right, if I were to murder or steal or cheat on my wife, then I would get fired. But breaking the Sabbath gets me a promotion. Um, yep. And just talking about that, yeah, like the slave driver of that, you have to do something, you have to do something, you have to be productive, especially for the Lord. Like this is your Lord, you know, in ministry, it's so hard to fall under that, like, yes, but like yes. rest is... Uh, like another form of worship that we just don't understand. Yes. Um, I, to, to give credit where credit is due, uh, that phrase anointed irresponsibility is uh, 
I'm channeling my spiritual director. Uh, that's his language. And he, basically what he's saying when he says that is he says, um, we, we tend to only think that anointed things are things that we're doing when in reality, anoint things that we're not doing are, can be equally anointed by God. Um, meaning our, no, our yeses aren't, can be anointed and our nos can be anointed. Mm. Our yeses and our nos can both be anointed. And, and to that end, when we read the New Testament writings of Jesus, the gospels, count the number of times Jesus doesn't do what people want him to do. He's always saying, no, I'm not going to go to that village. No, I'm not going to do that. No, I didn't come here to do that. No, I didn't come for those people. I came for this village. Um, even in the book of Acts, Paul is about to go into a, a, a whole region called Bithynia that had never heard the gospel and the spirit tells him not to go and preach. So we, there's like, I don't know where this internalized neurotic vision came from in mo many of our churches, where we think that every rep, every need represents God's will for my life, where everything that needs to be done represents what God is calling me to. I don't know where that came from, but I can certainly remember when I was sitting in a Bible college class, a pastoral ministry, Bible college class, and the teacher said, I, I, somebody said, what does a pastor do? And the person said, find a, find a need and meet it. And I want to say Jesus didn't even do that. Mm. Wow. Like Jesus didn't even live that. That is a recipe for needing to be in a retreat center, drinking vitamins out of a straw for the rest of the <laughs> That's not life. That, we're, we're not called to be the sovereign Lord of history. We're called to be faithful to the things Jesus calls each of us to do, but not all of it. So I don't know, Lynn, how we address that, but I certainly know naming it is a really important step in the right direction. Mm -hmm. That's that's so good, AJ. And I think, I mean, Lynn, what you're asking, I mean, this entire conversation, a theme that you discuss in your book, I mean, the, the importance of receiving the Sabbath and that there's there's an intentionality behind this. And, you know, the older I'm getting, the more I'm realizing, okay, you have to be very intentional to rest well. Um, that as I've heard other people say, you don't accidentally, you know, rest, you, you have to, you have to be intentional behind it. So I know we're about to draw this portion to a close, but I'd love for you to talk about a little bit of the intentionality behind resting. How can we be intentional in our rest? Um, well, we have to have a converted heart to Jesus and we've got to start today and recognize that Jesus, the father, the son, and the spirit actually knew what they were doing when they told us that we needed to Sabbath a day a week. And that, that we don't believe in, in, in six commandments and one, we don't believe in nine commandments and one really strong suggestion. We actually believe that Sabbath is brilliant and it's God's greatest gift to the world. And the only way to do it, I mean, this is honestly, I don't know how you can rest without a converted heart and without the spirit of God. I mean, if you're a secular person who doesn't have the power of God living in your heart by the spirit. I don't know how you don't end up following money, desire, sex, lust, you name it. Unless you have something inside of you, a personal indwelling presence who can tell you how to say no. So I mean, maybe this sounds super pedantic and veggie tales, but we really need Jesus. Hmm. I mean, honestly, it, the 
Our intentionality must begin by saying whatever God thinks is the best. Mm. And if that is true, then I need to live out of what God's best is. But honestly, a lot of, I, 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 this may sound like a confrontation, but if I have to try to convince a Christian that the 10 commandments like still matter, Hmm. we're in trouble. (laughs) That's like, if we're at the place where the whole murder thing is like, bah, that's old, that's old Testament, (laughs) you know, or, or the adultery or jealousy thing, like at the point where we honestly don't believe in the 10 commandments anymore, I don't know who we are. And I understand we don't follow all the Old Testament laws and dietary restrictions. I get that. But you don't have to be a brain surgeon to know the difference between things that God has commanded all of us to do all the time and things that were called for God's cultural people, the Israelites. But the Ten Commandments, <laughs> how do we be intentional? Let's actually agree that God knows what he's talking about. Hmm. That's a good answer. If it's veggie tales or not, I needed to hear that. Um, so AJ, look, uh, we're just getting started. Uh, glad you're going to be back with us next week to continue this discussion. I love it. I'll see you next week. Uh, today I welcome Sarah Zylestra and Melissa Kruger uh, to the podcast. Sarah, Melissa, good to see you. Thanks for having us. We're glad to be here. I've also got Lynn Grosso joining us. Lynn, how's it going? Hi, I'm good, John. So um, Sarah and Melissa will be talking to us about a book that they are, I guess, soon to be released entitled Social Sanity in an Insta World. Um, Before we get into that, Sarah, Melissa, why don't you tell us just a little bit about yourselves and and what you do for the Gospel Coalition? Uh, Sarah, why don't we start with you? Yeah, um, so I live in the Chicago area, south suburbs of Chicago. I have a husband and two sons, 16 and 12. Um, And I write story generally, um, when I'm not working on this book, I write stories of where God is at work in the world. So I'm trained as a journalist and I cover where the Holy Spirit is doing stuff all around the world. Awesome, Melissa. Yeah, um, I am Melissa. I'm married to Mike. Um, He works here. We're here in Charlotte, North Carolina, um, and he works at Reformed Theological Seminary, and we have three kids, um, a daughter who's 21, a son who's 18, and another daughter who's 15. So this social media topic is very germane to my life right now. Um, And for TGC, I'm Director of Women's Initiatives, which just means I am constantly thinking about women in the local church and how to research resource and equip them. Yeah, thank you both for your work, and uh, thank you for taking the time to come on and, and talk to us today. And um, Melissa, as you're introducing your family, it's it's funny because, as I told you pre-recording, I'm reading your husband's book, Surviving Religion 101, and for our listeners, he'll be joining us next week. Um, so I feel like I, I kind of know your family a little bit because uh, he's writing those letters to Emma. <laughs> and so almost interjected. all of our stories in there, you know, like when we were watching the show and, you know, yeah, he shares a lot in there. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it's an, an excellent book. And so is this book again, entitled social sanity in an Insta world. Um, Sarah, I know you serve as the editor for this book and there are, you know, nine total contributors uh, to this book. Um, well, why don't you tell us just a little bit about its structure as well as I know the gospel coalition put together a survey that, that, um, some of the, the stats are come up in the book. So just tell us a little bit about its overall structure and then the, the survey as well. Yeah, we, 
you know, we only really thought about this book um, last year, but and we knew if we did a book on social media, it would have to be fast. And so we chose a multi-author approach, which means um, we it, it gives it a couple strengths. So each chapter is written by a different author, which means a you can go really fast because everybody can write their chapter at the same time, and then at the end you have the book. Um, but then B, people can write about what they're really strong in. So you're basically getting the strength, the strong point of every person. And I think that makes it a really strong read as well. Um, so that's been really fun. Melissa actually helped me come up with the structure of it, which is um, every chapter has three parts to it, except for the, the first one, which is just a history. But every time we're talking about a different aspect, we talk about the positives, like, okay, a chapter on identity or a chapter on discernment. What are the positive things about being on social media? Because it's not all terrible. There are real good things that are happening there. And then second, what are the pitfalls, especially what are the pitfalls you might not recognize in yourself or in what's happening around you? And then third, the biblical principles, like how can I, if I'm going to use social media, how can I use it well to the glory of God in this area? So each chapter has um, those three things. And then you're right, we did do a survey. We surveyed, we basically, any anybody who signed up for um, a TGC women's conference or a TGC newsletter. So these are women who are pretty much in our theological circle. We were just curious if they use social media differently than the average American women. And so last fall, we sent out a survey to them. I'm sure it's not scientific because it's just questions that we thought up. <laughs> <laughs> but it was still really interesting anyway. And so it was just fascinating to see um, the differences between TGC women and American women. The, the most, the biggest one of those being um, TGC women use Instagram far more than the average American woman. Interesting. Yeah. I mean, like you said, it might not be scientific, but definitely interesting um, for sure. And I'd love, uh, Lynn, I'd love for you to, to jump in, but you, you mentioned that you start with the history of social media. And I, I found that fascinating. I mean, you even kind of say, look, if you're not a history person, this will be short, but it's, it's very fascinating. Um, but just curious, why did you decide to start with history? Yeah. Well, because the history really isn't very long. Um, honestly, it's, you know, gosh, 10, not even maybe 10 years since we've had these uh, most of these platforms not even 20 for sure um and so just to remember back to like it feels like this is how life has always been and but it's not and so it's just been really interesting to see the speed at which things changes actually the speed at which platforms come and go if you remember myspace you know it comes and goes really fast um the the rise the absolute rise of facebook which knocked everybody else like they are just head and shoulders and then head and shoulders again above everybody else in terms of success um, and so kind of looking at what made them successful um, and i and i think and in, in particular um you know how do how do we interact with this today well how is how has this changed the way that we think it's been really interesting when you put yeah. it in terms of uh, um i guess instagram as a middle schooler and facebook is a college student or what i was like well that changes like i don't trust <laughs> anything about middle schoolers this is so crazy that was a really i liked the way that you did that yeah they're not not as old as you think <laughs> i felt a little old but it's fine <laughs> I was like, wow, I remember when that came out. I remember when Facebook mm -hmm. went for, well, I remember getting a Facebook and how cool it was at how exclusive it was. And then I remembered when more and more, it was like, wait a minute, why is my dad on here? You know, <laughs> like, and why are you sending me stuff? Like, <laughs> but, um, but that's so interesting. Uh, Sarah, I really, um, I thought the kind of seeing a, well, this is where we're coming from. So this is how we can kind of project where to go and how to handle this. Cause it's not going to be, this is a long-term 
thing because everything does change so quickly in that in the social media world it's how can we form these habits that are actually rooted in something that doesn't change like our identity in Christ or like God's word and move forward learning how to handle things that do change so quickly yeah and 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 uh, Sarah, I also appreciate it. And Melissa, you're, you're being so patient waiting there. We're, we're, we're coming to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but Sarah, I also appreciate it just how vulnerable you were. To, to begin the book, you said that your husband locks you out of your social media accounts. I think it was once a week, but I, I'd love for you just to, to share a little bit about that as well. Yeah. Um, and if I'm going to be really honest with you, I have progressed in even through the process of writing this book um, and doing this other doing some podcasts and some other work with this, um, he has since deleted my account altogether, Wow! Um, which you guys, I had to ask him to do, because if I go in there to do it, I'm going to start scrolling. Um, and so I'm, then I'm lost. And so, yeah, there's just, um, and I think part of this, and we, you know, we talk about this a little bit. Part of this is your personality type. It's, it hits different people differently. And I think I just have a personality that is, um, I, I lose a lot of time on Facebook or was losing a lot of time on Facebook. And I'm also um, prone to comparison, um, right? So I'll look at somebody else's stuff and be like, wow, they're doing so great. And of course, you're looking at their highlight reels. And the more friends you have, the more people are doing something awesome right at that exact moment. So then you start feeling like you're behind because you're not doing something awesome every moment. And it feels like every moment you're being told about somebody else's awesomeness. Um, and so for me, that was... Um, that was the source of comparison, which then also made me feel dissatisfied with my actual life. Um, and also I think being on social media, as I worked on this, I realized it was it was harder for me to think clearly and well about things. Um, so yeah, I, I, I wrestled with it a lot. And I think it helps having a husband or a friend or a sister or somebody that you can talk honestly about with that and also ask for some accountability. How many yeah. days out are you? Oh gosh. Um, I don't know. It's maybe like, like a month, maybe like a month. Clean. Okay. You've been clean for a month. Wow. Been clean for a month. Those who are listening to this cannot, um, you know, obviously see us, but Sarah, as you're saying all that, we're all nodding our heads to everything you're saying, because obviously you're not the only one. And obviously the survey tells us that just interacting with others tell us that so many of your struggles are, are our struggles as well. So I, I appreciate you sharing that. Um, and I know too, uh, you know, you brought up time and that's something that I think many of the authors do point to, um, as you know, we use Instagram and as you're talking about kind of accountability, Melissa, I know you talk about, you know, God's word and God's help and God's people. Um, I'd love for you just to kind of talk about maybe that framework a little bit as we're seeking to foster discernment, um, in this area. I mean, that's the, I think the title of your chapter is discernment. Yeah, I think the reality for all of us and what we're trying to even teach our kids um, is discernment. So, I mean, the, the easiest thing is just to not use it. Okay, I mean, then there can be, yeah, I mean, like what Sarah is talking about, if we just cut it off in some sense, well, there, there's one answer. But we also live in a world where people are using it. And as Sarah said, in each chapter, we talk about some of the positives before we actually talk about the pitfalls, because there really is a connection that happens um, 
And there's almost an assumption now when you go to church that everybody's read your Facebook feed. And so, hold on, you didn't know I had an appendectomy this week? What's wrong with you? Like, how did you not know? I announced it to the world on social media, so you're supposed to know. So it's really tough sometimes to make it the choice to just be off of it. But I have lots of friends. I mean, I'm probably in a different age group. Um, I have a lot of friends who never got on it. So they're, they've never been on it. It's just not a part of their life. And so I recognize I have to text or call them if I want to know about their life. But when you've been on that space and that's where you've connected with people and I've made really good friends through social media, I mean, in the writing world, um, I think the, the the second question then we have to ask is how do I discern what it's doing to me? Sarah and I had a lot of conversations about this because one thing we realized is we respond differently to even what we see. Mm-hmm. We all have a response, but because I have different idols, I'm going to respond to certain things one way, then Sarah's going to respond. So it's, yeah. it's helpful to know yourself. Um, it's, you know, as you go into this medium, what is it doing it to me? Like, that's a question we all have to ask. And it's going to be a different answer for each person. And therefore we're all going to have to have different restrictions as we think about social media. Well, we'd all like a nice, easy answer. (laughs) And that's a lot more tricky because it really requires us to be prayerful, to be in God's word, to be really a thinking person as we enter into social media. And I don't think that's an answer most of us like. Most of us want something much more simple. And I think um, as we think through social media, it's extremely complicated. I think it's complicated with what we allow with our children. I just don't think there are easy answers. And I think that forces us back to the Lord in some good ways. Yeah, no, that's that's a good word. And as I was reading your chapter and you were talking about um, baking a cake and ingredients, and, you know, we often want... <laughs> Uh, easy ingredients to follow as we get on social media, but those are not available. And I was hoping you'd kind of maybe say, sure, you found the secret somewhere, but um, yeah, it's, <laughs> it's not that easy. We've got to do the difficult work of, uh, yeah, leaning on the, the spirit, asking him for, for wisdom. Yeah. Lynn, please jump in. Melissa, I, um, so you just tapped into something that you guys start out in the book. I can't remember if it's in the intro, if it goes into the history, but about how uh, most women say that they use social media for community, right? For building community. It's great to connect with other women in this way or other people in this way. It is really great for that. But then you do, I feel, and um, there's a question in here somewhere. I don't know if it'll come out as a question, but it's so interesting that just like what you said, Melissa, of you can go into church on Sunday or into your office the next day and somebody is, won't tell you about something because they posted it on Facebook and they assume that you saw it. So it's almost creating this new, well, I thought you were involved in my life in Facebook, so I don't need to fully involve you in my real life. Like it's almost shifting our communities too, right? Of like, I, well, I, I told you and everybody else online, so I don't feel like I need to tell you face to face. And then there's like, well, you didn't read my post. Like then what's that about? You know, it's shifting the way we do community too. Yeah. And that's difficult because not only did you, did you read it? Did you not like it? Are you mad at me because you didn't like my post and you like Sarah's post? Why did you Mm -hmm. like Sarah's? I mean, so for a teenager entering into that, you know, I at least have the years when I enter in to be like, um, the world's not about me. (laughs) They probably didn't see it and that's okay. But but when you're 13 entering into that, um, that's a whole different um, ball game. I mean, because it really is this comparison game that Sarah was talking about that I think it's going to be really difficult to see what what this is doing to our teenagers. Um, yeah, 
you made a good point too um, in your chapter discernment it says discernment is not avoidance of the world it's the ability to go into the world and embrace the good while avoiding the bad and I think that's if our parents could get um, I mean our parents are people if we could get into that mindset of oh that's what discernment is discernment isn't the total avoidance of right like not teaching you how to moderate this but just just totally avoid it if we could actually say no it's it's stepping into this and sifting through it discernment right of well what is good here and what do I need to avoid like learning that in multiple areas that's great I just thought that was so simply put so kudos to you for making that very clear it's not avoiding everything it's not total abstinence in all of this it's learning how to interact with it because there are good things like you say um, and Sarah alluded to with the positives the principles and uh, the pitfalls I thought that was great um yeah it's, it's learning how to navigate all those things it's not total avoidance um, which is important for especially young people to learn as we get older yeah, and, and Melissa, you just mentioned uh, teenagers a minute ago, and being in student ministry for a while now, and um, I've, I've spoken a little bit on technology, a question I get a lot, and I'd love for Sarah and Melissa, uh, you to, to respond to this, is um, what age should I give my child Instagram, or should I give them um, social media, uh, you know, of some sort? Um I'd love for you to, to speak to this. I mean, throughout the book, you talk about, I mean, we're, we're all different. We all have different temptations and struggles. Um, what's some counsel you typically give uh, when you get this question? Maybe, Sarah, start with you and then Melissa. Ooh, we have different. <laughs> Melissa's got unusual kids. Um, LAUGHTER so I have boys who have no interest. Um, so I haven't had to make this decision myself. Um, and that's the advantage of being a boy, honestly, is that you don't have to be interested and you don't have to be on and there is no social consequence for that. Um, it is different if you are a girl. It, it, there are social consequences for young girls who are not on. Um, and that is a hard thing for parents to weigh. That said, um, when I... I actually don't know that there is a safe age, honestly, for a girl to get on Instagram. I, I have seen, I've talked to girls who are smart and love the Lord and were raised in Christian families who checked every one of those boxes of, um, you know, keeping your phone in a shared space and uh, limit your parents looking at all your texts and limiting your phone access, um, and they are, they can get just as tangled up as anybody else. In a very short amount of time, I talked to um, a counselor who said, you know, there is no safe amount of time your kid can get messed up in half an hour or less in the things that they see online, um, especially girls. And unfortunately, even though it's beautiful and looks sweet, especially Instagram, um, there's something about the image uh, part of it that just uh, grabs our attention. Like if I showed you an Amazon smile or a McDonald's arch, you would know it in one tenth of a second. Mm -hmm. There's something about our mind and images, which makes Instagram a fabulous place for advertisers. Um, and in, and that's sort of like, and now it's like all mushed up, right? Is that girl my friend? Is she sharing something real or does she want me to buy her sweater, right? So there's like all kind, we're all mushed up in there. And for girls, um, Women are women my age, um, women who are older, their biggest problem with social media is the time suck. That's what our survey said. They, they waste too much time on there. That's not a problem for younger girls. Their biggest problem is 
is body image and comparison. And if you think about girls who are going through puberty or who are supposed to be at their most physically attractive age ever, um, and who are supposed to be attracting boys with their bodies, um, that is just Instagram with the images, especially the edited images, is just devastating. So if I had a girl, I don't think I, I would try and avoid that forever if I could. Mm-hmm. Now that's, look, that's a good word. And I, I love that you're balancing kind of the, the social capital that they'll they'll miss out, out on or, or that they'll sacrifice for not being on there while also just the struggles of, you know, we want to let them on because we feel like they're missing out as a parent, but then the struggles. I mean, Lynn was was talking with me recently on a podcast with Linda Oliver as well, and we were talking about the Jonathan Haidt article that talks about... Dang- they are not happy. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> Facebook's dangerous experiment on, on teenage girls and just how Instagram focuses more on the body, Snapchat is more on the face, and so there's just greater risks there. But um, Melissa, I'd love for you to, to speak to this as well. Sarah knows that I did everything wrong when it came to social media. <laughs> that absolutely. Um, I, you know, I, I was my daughter was born in two thousand, so it was the first. You know, I mean, so iPhones didn't come out till. I mean, I didn't have an iPhone as a young mom. Um, so when Instagram came out, I really viewed it as just a fun way to show pictures. It, it was not what it is today. It really was just this. Hey, this is where kids show pictures now. So she was 12. And when she got on it and I was like, yeah, that's fine. You know, I mean, I can go see what she posts. She's, yeah, it was like, what it it seemed very innocent at the time. Um, And I mean, her story is um, one of the Lord interrupting that for her. She heard a sermon about not wasting her life. And in eighth grade, deleted it off her account on her oh gosh, wow. Praise the Lord who works through the means of grace through the church. Um, and she's she's had it at different points. Um, and then all through college, she pretty much hasn't had it. And that was her choice the whole time. Um, that's why Sarah says my children are unusual. Here's what I will say. I have a couple things to say. I do believe the communities we make within our homes can teach them what real community is, yeah. teaching the good so that the other seems really fake. So I've thought about this a lot. Sarah and I've talked about this a lot. And I do think she felt the fakeness of the Instagram community in some part, because we do have a real community in our home. We talk, we sit down to dinner. We have, we laugh. She keeps a quote book of all the crazy things that are said. <laughs> in I hope never makes the light of day because <laughs> some of them, well, it would be embarrassing, but I'll ask your husband about those next week. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Um, but you know, we laugh a lot as a family. We do a lot as a family. I hope that that has helped to form a, what I call like an invisible force field mm-hmm. about fake community that you try to really build that in the home. And I'm saying that is a battle in our society today because of all the busyness that our kids mm-hmm. are doing. So just, I, I really believe in the importance of family dinner, but I would also say, I, I, I really believe in conversations over rules. So if my 13-year-old came to me, which I don't have a 13-year-old anymore, and asked, can I get Instagram? My first question would not be, or my first response would not be a rule. It would be, tell me why you want it. Let's talk about it. I'm just a big believer in having conversations with our teens. And they might have a really good reason. Hey, I want it for this purpose. And I would just have the conversation. And I would also am a big believer in... um, you know, we let these teenagers drive and that is terrifying. I mean, absolutely <laughs> terrifying. I have a 15 year old student driver right now. It is terrifying, but you know, we make them take a course 
before they use it. So I'm also big on educating them, treating mm. them um, as someone who is becoming a thoughtful person actually shows them a lot of respect. So it might be something that you say, you have to read these couple of books and I want us to have a conversation before you get on social media. That takes work on your part as a parent and it takes yeah. work on the kid's part. It's easy to give a rule and it's really easy to make your kid mad at you. I'm a much bigger believer in having a conversation and having high expectations and having them be responsible. And that is going to involve both of you doing some work. And I, so that's, so my answer is a non-answer. <laughs> that's a great answer. I mean, it highlights the complexity of what we're talking about. And I just love that having a conversation instead of just rules, sitting down and entering into their world and listening to the struggles of, you know, wanting to be on this. And um, anyway, that's a, that's a good word. Lynn, I'd love for you to jump in. Yeah, Melissa, you said some, uh, you said about uh, the importance of family dinners, which I also think, I mean, I'm a huge advocate for, family dinners, not eating in my car. I'm terrible about that, but, um, it, it, you know, most of our families are so busy that that's their quality time, right. Is in, in the car from one sport to a next. So just even modeling that in the home and then thinking about that. Okay. Well, how can parents, um, cause I think, uh, and Sarah, this is not me calling you out. So hear this with a loving heart. Like, I think it, cause I think about this for myself as well. And parents, as I see them, as they, they make a rule. And then when their daughter or son turns that age, it's like, Oh, I like, you know, theory was really great, but here we are in practice, right? Like if your 13 year old daughter does come to you and say, mom, I want Instagram. Like, I hope, like, I think it's great that you would just shut it down. That's great. But like, what if you want to start entertaining this? Like, okay, well, how can I model for her? if I want her to be able to participate this, how can I model that for her? And I think it was in either Gretchen's chapter on emotions guarding your heart, or it was, um, no, it was in chapter five, influence following wisdom. Um, she mentioned something about paying close attention to how our feed is leading us, like what emotions it's making us feel and what thoughts it's leading us into. And so I guess my question is how, would you, or do you maybe in your household in other ways, lead that, like show them my primary influence is scripture, is God, or is this like, how, how do you help them learn that emotional IQ of, okay, this makes me feel like I'm not good enough after I, I read this. So how does that point me to, um, yeah, like how, do, how do you change who their influence is by modeling that? Like, have you, have you experienced that, Melissa, or maybe even with boys? I don't know, Sarah. Yeah, I, I would say um, <laughs> we have to be being influenced by the word ourselves. I mean, so, so at one point, while I say there's no social media answer, I do think there are answers for a, a life that prospers. Mm -hmm. And Psalm 1 tells us what that is. Blessed is the person who delights in the law of the Lord. Um, and on it, he meditates day and night. Whatever he does prospers. I have staked my life on that. Um, and I think we can point our kids to that and we can say, and by prosperity, we don't mean Instagram followers right, right. <laughs> we don't mean fame and we don't mean money, but we mean soul prosperity. And so actually I think our kids seeing us pray and have times in scripture. I mean, that's such a huge example is the, is the pattern of our homes one that seems reliant on the Lord? Mm -hmm. um, do we help our kids pray? Do we help our kids um, read scripture and understand scripture? Do we have times when we're doing that with our teenagers? And I think modeling that 
can help them start to taste that there's something better. This is like a, you know, I, I say like Instagram and all these things, it's like um, a man, you know, when you get engaged um, saying, I'm going to go and get you a ring out of the 25 cent gumdrop thing. Well, a two-year-old would like that sucker ring. Yeah. But, you know, we want the real diamond. And so what we're trying to show them is that life in crisis, is the real diamond, this is where it really That's is. Good. The yeah. other stuff is just fake candy mm-hmm. and it really isn't what you want. And so I think there's this, let me show you the loveliness of life in the body, life in Christ. And the other's going to test taste less good, but that's a lifelong there. This is yeah. again, I'm giving no easy answers. These are lifelong pursuits. And that starts with us as parents. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, I'm always saying like, I have to be on my knees. I have to be in the word or I can never teach it to my children. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I felt a little attacked in, uh, when you say, I think it's your chapter, chapter four. Yeah. When you say our greatest problem, isn't spending too much time on social media. Our greatest problem is that we're not spending enough time in our Bibles. And I was like, Oh, she got me. Like, <laughs> yeah, like it's so easy, especially now as I'm like, as, um, as I'm wedding planning to look and like, as I'm getting ideas and then just getting so lost in that. And then it's like, well, I opened up my Bible, but I didn't even look at it, you know? Like, so I've had to be really thoughtful about making sure that is my first discipline. Cause that will be my first and for like, that is my first and greatest identity is not as a bride. It is as a child of Christ. Right. And so, um, yeah, I felt you're the, the nail file of the Holy spirit is a friend of mine calls it for me today. So thank you very much for that. <laughs> you can stop. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> I thought, I thought that was a good word um, because, you know, it is, if, if that's, that's the first thing we pick up in the morning, uh, we know the word tells us our hearts are deceitful above all else, that we need to be feeding on truth before we're picking up something that's filled with, with lies. And that doesn't discredit that there's good stuff out there as well. But um, so often, if that's the first thing, that's not, not the best for us. Um, I, I know we're getting close to, to close, but as uh, people are listening, um, we're talking about women a lot, and this book is aimed for for women. Um, I, I'm just curious, thoughts on uh, how how do you think uh, a man, a man could could benefit from from reading this book? How do you see men utilizing this book? Um, thoughts on thoughts on that, uh, Sarah or Melissa, whoever wants to to jump in. Mm, that's really good. I think there are specific dangers um, that we didn't even get into for men online. I know. Uh, I don't even know if I want to open this whole can of worms, but um, (laughs) the sexuality, the open sexuality, the the girls who love the Lord and the way that they pose on Instagram, and they're telling me they're posing conservatively, and I know they are compared to the other people who are posing on Instagram, but that's not something you want your youth pastor to look at. Do you know what I mean? Like there's, um, there are real pornographic temptations. that's just real um, on Instagram from the girls who just feel like they're goofing around. I mean, I don't think they're doing this maliciously. Um, so I think that's a specific male temptation. Um, I think there's a lot of male lurkers who just go on and look, and then it's not like they're posting all the time, um, but that can be a source of temptation for them. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I appreciate you yeah, highlighting that. I mean, that's something just, I mean, and I, I should have shared this earlier, Sarah, I'm not on Instagram as well. So I've kind of taken the path of de- deleting social media accounts and getting off for, for various reasons. We could have an entire podcast talking about that. But 
I can remember being a youth worker and just, you know, having people in my youth group and thinking, I, I don't need to see this. I don't need to, to be on this. And um, so I appreciate you highlighting that yeah, unique struggle. Uh, Melissa, other thoughts on how men could potentially utilize this? I mean, this is helpful for me as I was sharing pre-recording, just having three daughters, uh, having a wife, obviously that, that might be the obvious way, but any other thoughts, Melissa, there? Yeah, that's what I was thinking. Even how, Sarah, how your husband was so helpful for you um, <laughs> to, to lovingly lock you out at times. I think it is always helpful to have a person who knows as well, who can see, huh, you were in a good mood before you went to your phone. And now <laughs> you are really crabby and dissatisfied with your life. Like, hey, I love you. And, and I think I think men and women deal with social media differently. And Sarah and I also talked about this some um, that like most of the books on technology are coming from a male perspective right now. When you look at most of the titles we have. So I think this one's really unique to get to hear from nine different women, how they're wrestling with different things on it. And it's probably, you know, 90% different than maybe a man would be struggling, mm -hmm. struggling with it. And so that just helps us know each other in the body better. I love reading the perspectives of my brothers. It helps me to be like, oh, wow, I didn't even know that was a struggle. And I think this is a, just a, um, a welcome way to get to learn about your sisters and how they might be struggling. I'd encourage pastors in particular, mm -hmm. because when they talk about it from the pulpit, they might be thinking in a very male way about social media. And maybe there are some things like envy and comparison that need to be hit at um, for their female members that this book might just help them understand in a better way. Yeah, that's that's a very good word. I mean, just telling anyone listening out there, I've read it, I haven't read all of it, but I've benefited from it and, and plan to, to read the, the rest of it. But definitely as you were talking, I was thinking pastors absolutely should should pick this up. Um, so yeah, very helpful. I know we're about to wrap this up. Lynn, I'd, I'd love for you to, to jump in if there's anything else you, you didn't get to ask. I know there's, there's plenty we're not getting to, but. I have two questions. My first one is um, in the emotions about guarding your hearts. Um, Gretchen talks about as social media sparks a range of emotions in us, God's word provides clarity, insight, and hope. And then many of the other authors in the book talk about how, yeah, how important it is to be anchored in God's word and how to make that a priority. But my question for you two ladies is what is a truth that as you've struggled through this, um, that maybe a, a scripture or a truth about God that you have tethered yourself to um, as you yeah, navigate all of this. And I'm sure as you were writing the book or the reasons that you ended up writing the book, um, what's a truth that you've tethered yourself to? Um, well, if you read the introduction, mine is, is definitely in finding my identity in God, right? Like, boy, I can create an awesome identity online. And I didn't even realize I was creating my own perfect identity and my own perfect creative memories life. I'm creating a version of heaven, right? I'm, I'm only putting up pictures that I like, and I'm only recording the fun stories that happen to me. And that's not wrong on some level, except for when it is for your own heart. Um, and so I definitely think, no, uh, for me, coming back to my identity being in Christ, um, and also that I'm not, if you're not, it's fine if you're on, but it's also fine if you're off. You're not less of a person. You're not even really missing out on that much if you choose. I would like it to be just as normal to be off as it is mm -hmm. to be on. Um, that like, well, cool, you're on, cool, you're off. Like that. that's, um, I'm hoping we can turn down the temperature on that and that I, that could be a valid option for people because I think far more people need to be off than are right now. Mm. 
good. Yeah, very good word, Melissa. I would just say I, I really always um, cling to the scripture that all of creation is groaning. Um, mm. And I know that sounds like a strange one, but what I mean by that is when I do look, I, I recognize clearly I'm looking at someone's highlight reel. Mm -hmm. And so um, this is an opportunity for me to enter in and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. But I realize this is a moment every life is hard. And perhaps it's because I did years in the local church with women's ministry. And so I sat, I sat in those places that don't get posted on Instagram with people. I sat on them in the moments when they find out their husband had an affair. I sat in the moment when they're sending mm -hmm. their child off to a camp because they can't, they're cutting themselves and suicidal. Like I've sat in the moments um, where all there are tears. And so I recognize what I see on social media is a moment in a life. And I know all of creation is groaning. Mm -hmm. And so it changes how I view it. Um, and it just makes me say, let me rejoice in this moment with this person. But sometimes people are sharing hard things. And so let me, let me see it as a way to also mourn with those who mourn. And if we can go into it, with the aspect of, I want to love my neighbor well, I think that will protect us versus I want people to notice me. Um, but like, how can I use this medium as a way to love my neighbor as myself? How can I use this medium as a way to share the gospel with people who maybe I'm too much of a wimp in real person, <laughs> real life to actually share, but then they see, gosh, she posts about Jesus a lot. Okay, maybe that will make them wanna have a conversation with me when their life does fall apart. And so um, just remembering that all creation is running. That's my anchor when I go into social media. That's brilliant. Thanks for sharing that. Um, you remind me of uh, in the relationships chapter. Uh, the author uh, said that pursuing relationships in a godly way is a privilege. And sometimes I think we forget that, that to sit and not just like, oh, just your highlight reel, like that's so fun, but to sit with them in the moments when we're crying and we're suffering and, and life isn't postable, right? Or isn't likable. It's a privilege to do the highs and the lows. Um, and that's um, a beautiful thing about community. Okay, and then my second question is, what mm -hmm. is next for this conversation? Like, where does this conversation need to start again? We are hoping it starts in real life groups of women who read this book together. We are hoping um, for book clubs and for uh, Sunday schools at churches or anything where women can talk about this in real life community together. Um, and that that can be the seed of um, a thinking about it. Maybe you haven't before. I sure didn't. So mm -hmm. like thinking about like, oh, what am I doing on here? How can I live a purposeful, intentional life on social media? And then also like, how can we do it together? How can we see each other and um, build those real relationships so we right you're known in those low moments and those yeah. high moments both and so how can we build those real relationships that will be that will have social media be the frosting it's supposed to right we go there for connection but less than two percent of women in that survey said that social media is their primary way they connect they're connecting through phone calls and texts and real life conversations that's where their real connection is we know that so if we know social media is the 2%, it's the frosting, it's the top of the relationship pyramid, not the bottom of the relationship mm -hmm. pyramid, like that's, then that's what we can use it for, right? Then it can be fun to look at somebody's vacation pictures. That's great. I'm hoping Sarah will go to the next level and keep, 
keep digging into this and write the next book on how do we do this with our kids? Because mm -hmm. I, I think, I think she, you know, we started to scratch the surface with us as women, but I, I would say there are still a lot of questions. Um, it, it, it sounds like from the interview Sarah did, a lot of the things we think will work don't that we're trying to do restricting you know, all these things it's not necessarily working so what can we do to help our children um and that's a that's a big question so i'm hoping she'll do a lot of research <laughs> more surveys and write another book that's where i'm hoping some of this conversation will go Sarah, it's not like you have anything else going on. I'm sure you could get, yeah. get right on that, right? <laughs> All I need is nine authors who could each take a chapter. <laughs> <laughs> well, look, there's so much more to talk about with, with this topic, um, but just re reminding our, our listeners that the title of the book is Social Sanity in an Insta World. Um, you all said it should be out, kind of a soft launch, launch in June, but July 1st, is that correct? That's correct. Yep, um, July 1. You can pre-order it now if you go to Amazon. You can pre-order it. If you're going to the Gospel Coalition's Women's Conference in June, which you should, it's going to be a lot of fun. Melissa and I will both be there having a great time. So you can have a, have, come have a great time with us. Um, it will be available there. That's kind of our exclusive launch. Um, and then it will be available for the whole world on July 1. Excellent. Well, this is such an important topic to be discussing. Thank you both for your work, as well as the, the other authors who contributed to this. This will be very helpful uh, for the kingdom. So thank you for that. Lynn, thank you as well for, for coming on today. Oh, come and buy without money. Oh, come and feast without